Hi, I'm Jenea Barnes, and I'm an Elevation Guide, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I am Wendy Sheridan. And welcome, everybody. And how are you doing today, Robin? Hello, I'm okay. I just uh, realized yesterday that we made it to our third anniversary. I'm so happy Leftscape anniversary. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was not aware. I have not been paying attention. And I saw your, your text yesterday was really awesome. I was going, really? It's been three years? Holy shit. <laughs> I know. That's wild. Oh, boy. But I'm okay. We're recording on Memorial Day. So I might, like, the sun has finally come out sort of here. Sort it, of. It's been a really dark few days. So it's nice to, you know, maybe have a possibility of getting outside a little bit today. So that's good yeah i might actually go down to one layer of clothing because <laughs> <laughs> really? yeah it, for those of you who i don't know don't live around here uh it's been unseasonably cold for the last few days and also really raining i mean i do remember one june where it rained every single day we did not see the sun for 30 days this was yeah like, that was terrible like that would be person ago. so that was yeah, yeah that's not great <laughs> No, I my and and you would think my plants would have liked it, but it killed my zucchini that year. Yeah, they just, they, just they said I can't deal with this, and they just sort of died. <laughs> so, hope that won't happen again. Yeah, but yeah, otherwise pretty good here. All's well. Cool, cool, cool. So we've got some awesome stuff this month. It is Pride Month, and I know that some. Pride gatherings are starting to happen again. I haven't really kept up on all of the updates, but you know, I, I've seen at least some smaller things in parks and stuff starting to happen this year because there were no Pride marches last year for sure. Right. You know, so that's interesting. It is also African American Music Appreciation Month, and on June twelfth, it is Loving Day, and that is the day that celebrates the end of anti-interracial marriage laws in the U.S. So my friend Jen and I are doing an online event for that. So that cool. is a day I love to celebrate as well. So happy June. Happy June. So we talked a little bit in the news last show about the Israel-Palestine lobbing missiles at each other. And I guess we want to revisit that a little bit. I want to say for myself that the entire stuff that's been going on over there has and my daughter like talking to me and also Robin talking to me has made me realize that I am operating under a set of assumptions that have that I was raised in I'll say I've been indoctrinated to basically support Israel no matter what and I am trying to be more open-minded about that <laughs> and it's it's not easy but yeah, I am reevaluating uh, my positions on a lot of things. And, and also in the news that we're going to talk about later, I just want to say that 
the Israeli uh, parliament seems to finally be getting rid of Netanyahu, although he's apparently trying to fight that. And, and that, I think, is a good thing. I think a lot of the issues that are happening are because of him. So that's my uh, mea culpa, I guess. You know, it's it's my how I was raised and it's hard to unpack this. You know, I've been doing <laughs> I have been doing a lot of other unpacking with respect to race and things like that. And, and this is another piece that needs to be revisited and reexamined. You know, I just have these attitudes because that's kind of I was raised that way and I heard the justifications for everything and go, yeah, yeah, you know, so, and, and I need to rethink all of these things. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult subject. And I hear a lot of left-leaning people who automatically support the Palestinians. And I think that's, like, I, I get that too. But I think I, I'm a little bit on edge when I hear blanket statements about it without any sort of, I, I guess I hear on the other side, people who just, who aren't hearing any other discussion either mm. you know yeah and it's a challenge it's it's a difficult thing I've, I've just been listening to different podcasts and and just trying to learn more because I've always feel like I don't know enough about the specifics of what's happening there ever and ever enough to comment in a way that feels that I feel secure in what I know and what I'm saying you know but one thing I did learn is that for a lot of people it's it feels important to be very specific about what you're talking about. So if you're critiquing one one of Netanyahu's policies, that's a thing to that you can say and talk about and have something behind you, you know, to discuss. Yeah. But if you're just saying, oh well the Israelis, blah, 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 then that's what makes people feel like it's it's anti-Semitic and that is not helpful to the conversation. Yeah. You know? I it's it's an analogy would be anytime over the last four years somebody say, you know, having the attitude of all Americans and not just Trump. Right. It's it's similar to that. And and that, you know, my position is that the United States really has does not have the moral high ground to be telling anybody anything. But that doesn't stop us. I mean, and it's and I know that that the balance of arms is not it is unbalanced. And right. I'm, I'm, you know, and I don't want to spend this whole show talking right. about this subject. Because... But that's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I think about, too, when I think about this. But, yeah, we'll, I hopefully, we'll be, like I said before, it would be great to have a guest and a conversation so we can, I want to learn more about this, honestly. So, but thank you for that rewind, for You're sure. Welcome. <laughs> and in other rewind news, Linda Gaffney, who was a, a, Guest way back in, I think, our first year of the show, who's an engineer and an environmentalist, uh, has been really thinking about the whole Bitcoin thing because I was asking her about it. <laughs> and can, can you just can you talk? Come on the show and talk about it or whatever. And she said, you know, she's having trouble understanding why it takes so much energy that it does. But she said an article that she found that best gave her the more in, information at least is called why does bitcoin need more energy than whole countries and we'll put that link in our show notes and i was just glad to get some information and i'm going to be reading that too and just learning a little bit more about it yeah I, i'd much rather talk about bitcoin than than israel so <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> 
<laughs> we could do that. <laughs> and and I always love to talk about music, of course. And I and our last show, I was talking about electronic music on the Geekscape. And I started making a playlist. And the problem with that for me is that I will go into such a rabbit hole that I will do nothing else except <laughs> research electronic music and follow all these trails and get into all these things. And it's been, it was great. And then I realized I, I have other things I have to do right now. <laughs> so I started making a playlist and I will, I will definitely eventually bring it out and, and, you know, post it on that show and post it around social media. And it's, you know, it's fun. I just need to know when I can take a break to do that. So that's in the works. <laughs> I'm sorry about giving you assignments that you don't have time for. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it's what I would, believe me, that's what I'd love to be doing <laughs> instead of any of a lot of things That's so that. on patreon this past month in may i we caught up <laughs> we 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 have been we have been late for a few months and some of these shows some of these segments were sitting in in my hard drive for me to have time to actually edit them and get them up and they're up now so we are now all caught up thank so you for being patient patrons for <laughs> For March, April, and May, we talked about the ever-evolving social group, which is how we're talking about how and why social groups change over time. We talked about Beltane, and then uh, we talked about how technology affects us as humans and how we are affected by the sudden absence of technology or electricity. We, I thought they were pretty good conversations, so... Take a listen. Three <laughs> random facts. And I have a fact. At the founding of Rome around 753 BC, the 10 months of the year were Martius, Aprilis, Maius, Junius, Quintilis, Sextilis, September, October, November, and December. So there were only 10, were the, the months also 30 days? They were, yes, they were around 30 days. And then that, that's why they started getting so off balance. I bet. Year. And so then eventually, they're 30 or, I mean, they were, they varied a little, but they were around the same time. And then around, I suppose, I think around the time of Julius Caesar or something, they added January and February, roughly named those things, like at the end of the year. Oh. And then they still had extra time. So they had a, a, a third thing that was like every so often in February that had like a whole bunch of days. So it was sort of like a leap month. It was almost like up. a leap, yeah, leap. I can't remember how long that segment of time was, leap but then it, something, <laughs> and then eventually it became leap, you know, the, the leap year thing that we know. But it was a uh, kind of an interesting, yeah. you know, progression. <laughs> uh, my fact is in Alaska, it is illegal to whisper in someone's ear while they are moose hunting. <laughs> That's a really specific law. <laughs> that sounds like one of those things, like, you know, why we have on our coffee cups, you know, coffee, coffee is hot. So basically <laughs> you can't sue us if you burn yourself, you know, like I someone guess. must have whispered in someone's ear while they were moose hunting and something bad happened. And like the moose killed them. And the moose, or something. Are, <laughs> moose are terrifying. Moose are, are, however big you think a moose is, it's bigger. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe, you know, if if you if you take some pounds off of an elephant and give it big antlers and take the the trunk away, you kind of have a moose. They're massive animals. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 
I guess it's not something you want to be distracted at or from when you're hunting them, but geez. <laughs> How about all the whispering and no hunting the moose? That, that's, yeah, my, I, that's my I, law. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> so in Robin land, that will be the law. <laughs> okay, here's fact number three. Since 1944, Middle Eastern and North African Americans have been legally white, having to check white the white box in demographic surveys like the U.S. Census. The reason for this classification can be traced to the 19th century when Middle Eastern and North African Christians who, attended, who intended to immigrate to the U.S. identified as Caucasian to evade restrictive and racist immigration policies. Hmm. I have been wondering about that because I know someone who is frustrated that the box that she's supposed to check on the surveys is white when her father was Lebanese. She's kind of like, but that's that doesn't make sense to me, you know? Yeah. But that's well, what I don't like checking the white box either. But although looking at me, I am like very much pale. <laughs> so <laughs> other, very much pale. Yeah. But I was just curious, honestly, about when that originated because it is odd. And I know that there's a movement to add other boxes and, you know. Well, they should add other boxes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I can see this happening for this particular reason. They w they were okay with the Christians coming over from that region, but not anybody else. Right. So, yeah, that is, well, you know, it's the United States. Yes. <laughs> it's the United States and we are not post-racial. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. <laughs> no way are we post-racial yet. Oh. <laughs> That was but a dream of some, of a few. <laughs> uh, so what do we got coming up on the show today? Okay. Uh, well, later on in this show is my interview with Jenea Barnes. Um, and we talked about her techniques that she has for healing trauma and being your best self. And then later in the Blanket Fort segment today, we are going to talk about how we how I, you you describe it i am having a it's a dichotomy we can't relax we have to relax We're, there's so much going on politically and socially that needs attention and at the same time we have to find ways to re, you know re-energize um so we're talking yeah. about that yes before we move on to all the news we can handle, we want to say thank you for listening. And here's how we can keep in touch. You can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. Subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to get automatic downloads so you don't miss a show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And when you go to our website to check out our show notes, sign up for the monthly newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. And join us over on Patreon for extra content to help us keep making the show better. And you can choose from our tiers, front row seats, backstage pass, stage door, dressing room, green room, after party, and the elusive hotel room key. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. And now here's all the news we can handle. Yeah, so in the news around here, it, it's been a little bit uh, scary. We had a mass shooting, not all that far from where I live. 
Yeah. And and that was uh, a little over a week ago. Yeah, I think it was on the 23rd of May. And originally there were two dead and 12 injured and one more um, passed away, unfortunately. So the three are Asia Hester, who's 25, Keith, Kevin Elliott, who was 30, and Braylon Holmes at 19. Two people have been arrested so far. It was like a big outdoor party, like all these people hadn't gotten together through this whole pandemic, you know, and I, and I think it was a birthday party, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you know? and there were like 150 people there. It was a big... A big a- outdoor gathering, and it sounded really joyful and, you know, reunion-y, and uh, it sucks that it ended like that. And they've arrested a, they've arrested a couple of people. Yes. Yeah, two so, so far, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, at, at that part is good because sometimes they never catch the people sometimes and this one these these were kind of shocking for us because new jersey doesn't really have a lot of these although i went on to wikipedia this morning just to see uh and there have been in the past week since the fairfield township shooting there have been of 10 other mass shootings in the united states over the last week and then there have been 246 mass shootings since January 1st, with a total of 279 people killed and 1,004 people wounded. And I really hope we can figure out what the fuck to do about this, because this is more than one a day. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I've been thinking about how this must look from... Other parts of the world that just, this is, it's so abnormal. It's such an outlying kind of phenomenon, you know? People must be, and people I've talked to are just like, what's, what's happening, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, we're like a fucking action movie here, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, guns are the solution to all of the problems that people have. I don't know. Yeah. It's very bad. Yeah. Uh, so in other <laughs> not great news, <laughs> there are a lot of new voting laws that are coming into play. And there are more than 20 laws this year that have set, have been made already to make it harder for Americans to vote. And there are, you know, a lot more in the works. Uh, actually, so between January 1st and May 14th of this year, 14 states enacted 22 new laws that restrict access to the vote. Yeah. And yeah. these things are like, there. it's things like a lot of it has to do with mail-in voting so that they're restricting the number of boxes you can put your, mail, your mail-in ballot in, moving them inside buildings so that they kind of defeat the purpose because they were supposed to be like outdoors and easy to access. So you can get to them anytime you had time. Some of them that I've heard about are have to do with the uh, poll workers. So they want to try to target the non the people who are there to be nonpartisan and just sort of make sure it all goes smoothly. So things like if, you know, a poll worker or an election official is supposed to be guarding a certain area for for, you know, it has to be like nonstop. So if someone no, turns away or take a pee break or anything. Take a pee break or something, they could be fined up to like twenty five thousand dollars Oh my God. Them. I mean I I I'm not sure where that one was. it might be Texas. I I don't quote me. I have to but that was what I heard I have, about recently. I have news about the Texas one, but um Okay. But that's but yeah, yeah. Yes. So I guess 
It's another thing I'm at a loss for what to do, but certainly like if you have an election coming up where you can have any influence on the people that would be inclined to support this kind of stuff, like we need to get them out before more damage is done to basic democracy, you know? Yeah, they're also, I think a lot of the laws are also making it easier to to criminal to prosecute or or make liable like the election of local like election officials like they can be they're making it easier to to challenge the vote and to and to hold and to hold like this the secretaries of state or or the the registrars the people who are in charge of the counting the votes and stuff hold them liable or responsible for any things like like if there's there's fraud they're going to go to jail too or some shit like that and and uh, my add on is from Sunday night in Texas the democratic uh caucus in their legislature walked out so they did not they so they couldn't reach quorum to actually vote on the on the Texas voting bill oh. uh, Texas 7 so it it ran out the clock um, I think the governor is going to have a special session later. The Democrats were their complaint other than like the specific, there's a lot of specific bullshit in that law. None of the Democrats were involved in crafting the law in the first place. And they're very, they're upset about that. They wanted to have it to be a bipartisan bill and not just a Republican bill. So I guess by them walking out and the fact that they couldn't vote on that and and a few other things that were supposed to be done before midnight on Sunday that, you know, they, they said, you know, even these other things that might've been good that weren't voted on because they ran the clock out on this one. It's because they could not let this vote, let this law get passed. It had things in it like restricting how many people you could drive to the polls. Hmm. It's basically they're targeting whatever happened in Harris County last election with the with the like drive in voting and all this other stuff. They're not using the word black people, but it it is definitely targeted specifically to reduce the amount of black people being able to vote in Texas. Sure. And I, I really am disgusted with if the Republicans can't win unless they they restrict people who should be voting to vote then they shouldn't be in office and and they're and they're trying to to rig the game so they can't lose and that's not how this is supposed to work yeah really <laughs> yeah i mean that is everything that i've read and heard and came to understand about that that's basically what it is too that it's not majority opinion anymore the things that they want to enact so you know people who are determined to win will find another way to do it and that's cheating that is scary yeah and some people some people well yes but (laughs) but what i'm saying is that some people feel that the left should follow suit and and play play the same kind of game you know and i it's frustrating because I, i i understand the critique that people think people in progressive and and liberal you know philosophies are are not proactive enough or want to see want to like assume that there's goodwill and that we can find a way to work together when that's not what the other people are doing you know so i can understand that frustration but i don't want a world where 
everyone is cutthroat and just cheating everywhere either. So it's um, kind of a yes. dilemma. Israel but... and Palestine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. <laughs> yeah. It's it's tough, but that yeah, but stopping the vote, I mean, there've got to be ways to not allow this. No. And I think yeah, we need to we need to find them. Uh, and so there's some good news in the world. <laughs> I was reading about Jaden Smith, the, the, the son of Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. And he's got some interesting things going on. He's he's doing a restaurant that is, it's pay what you can kind of a thing. Cool. And, you know, where homeless people can come and eat. Apparently he's had a couple of food trucks called the I Love You Restaurant. And one was in L.A. and Skid Row residence, and he did one in around Harlem also. Hmm. You know, so you can, it's all vegan food and stuff and, and everything. And so now he's got a restaurant coming up. They didn't, they, they haven't announced the location yet. I got the impression that it was in California, but but we'll see. It just, it sounds, I really like the trend of the pay what you can thing. Some musicians do that with their music online, you know, like they where they might suggest a payment, but pay more if you can, or if you mm -hmm. can't just download it, but a way to get food to people and pay it forward, I think is a really good, it's a nice thing. So that's cool. Yeah. And, and just in my studies, I also discovered that Jaden Smith is also apparently a conspiracy theorist. So, um, so take the food, maybe reconsider the philosophy if you get any. <laughs> and, oh my um, God. It's, it's a, it's a, as Devo said, it's a wiggly world. <laughs> that is all the news we can handle today. Join me, Robin Renee, and Jen Campbell for Loving Day Online, a celebration of multiracial, multicultural lives and loves on Saturday, June 12th from 5 to 7 p.m. Loving Day is an annual celebration held on the anniversary of the 1967 Supreme Court decision, Loving v. Virginia, which struck down all remaining anti-interracial marriage laws in the U.S. Join us on Zoom, Facebook Live, enjoy the stories and performances, and let us know if you'd like to share your own story, song, poem, or work of art. Send your idea by June 1st to LovingDayNJ at gmail.com. Like the new Loving Day NJ page on Facebook and RSVP for the event. Loving Day Online, Saturday, June 12th, 5 to 7 p.m. We're looking forward to sharing this special day with you. I'm here with Jenea Barnes, who is an elevation guide. Uh, she's committed to the elevation of humanity. She works with individuals and groups to create greater effectiveness and ease in their lives. By working directly with the unconscious mind, she quickly and gently neutralizes self-sabotaging behavior, emotional triggers, unwanted patterns, and limiting beliefs. She increases self-esteem and self-worth, reduces excessive emotional reactions, and facilitates the cultivation of foundational building blocks needed to achieve current and future goals. Hi, Jenea, and welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome to me and to you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, so glad you're here today. So my first question is to explain what elevation is in this context. 
So basically, any time that we are stuck in our lives, we feel like we can't progress forward, we feel like the world is coming down on us, anything that you do that opens up more choice and more possibility creates this feeling of elevation. And so what I do is I work with people specifically to as you know, my bio in the beginning said, neutralize the self-sabotage and give you more freedom of choice, basically, in all of the things that you do, which in turn makes you feel elevated. Okay. Okay. So elevation is a, is like a, a happier feeling than, I guess, a normal flat affect kind of thing. <laughs> well, hopefully the normal is your happier space. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> whenever I, we have more choice, whenever we feel like we have more choice, it allows us to feel happier because we know like if this isn't working, I can just try this. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, all right. Um, and you know, in your bio, you say you, you, um, you're directing, you're working with the unconscious or subconscious mind. And um, so how would you, how do you access that? Is it, is it part of like a hypnotherapy kind of a thing or, or what is that? So I'm mostly, I use different tools of personal development, but I mostly use NLP and hypnotherapy to access what we do to start to speak to the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind. I use those terms interchangeably. What we do is we soften what's either called the critical factor or the default mode network. And when we do that, we can start to speak directly to the unconscious mind and make the shifts that we need to stop those habitual behaviors that when we're a little bit tired or we're depleted, we keep sliding back into. Oh, uh, awesome. Awesome. Um, and, and for those that may not know, NLP stands for neuro linguistic programming. Uh, yeah. I, I actually took like a, like the intro course many, many years ago. I have a whole shelf of books. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. It um, is. So, so let's talk for a second um, about the, the body-mind connection. Ah, the body-mind <laughs> connection. Well, you know what's interesting is we think of, and of course we have been told this, that the mind and the body are two separate things. And they are proving now scientifically that everywhere in your whole body there is connection to mind. Your whole nervous system is carrying everything, your beliefs, your experiences, everything. So there really is not much separation between the mind and the body. It's like, you know, you hear these stories about people getting heart transplants and all of a sudden they're craving foods they never liked before. And it turns out that the person whose heart they have, that was one of their main cravings. So oh, wow. we carry everything in not only what we think of as our brain, but also our mind. We've shown that all the, I want to say, 
oh, I want to say it's neurons, but that's not the right word. But we've shown that they're all connected throughout the entire body. There is no real barrier between the brain and the body. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you consider to be the foundational building blocks that someone might need to have, you know, to achieve success or their goals, which is one of the things that you do? Yes, absolutely. I really think that for anybody to achieve whatever it is that they're setting out to achieve, there's a handful of things that needs to happen. One, we need to be able to manage our emotional state. I mean, let's face it. Most of us were not taught how to deal with our emotions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We were taught. I was taught. Nobody taught me on purpose, but I was I learned by watching others and I learned to stuff every feeling that I ever had. My mm. mother my mother was very good at that. And so I believed that it was unsafe, not good to show emotion, to feel emotion. And so remember we're connecting the mind and the body. So stuffing those emotions into the body and not letting them move through, it does damage to the body. So as we stuff our emotions, or sometimes people just wallow in their emotions so much that they literally feel like they become the emotion, it becomes their identity. You hear people say, instead of they say, I have depression, or I am feeling depressed, they say, I am depressed. And more and more what they're doing, they're programming their brain over and over. This is what they are. I am sad. Mm. I am a loser. I am unworthy. So there's all of this stuff, this disempowering things that we start to program our bodies and our minds with between not allowing our emotions to move through. I mean, emotions are generally caused by thoughts. So as we have a thought, maybe we think, oh, wow, I miss my ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. (laughs) And all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed with sadness. Well, if you allow that sadness to come up and you allow it to move through, sometimes it takes acknowledging it and recognizing it and accepting it. And then you allow it to move through, it will go through. The chemical reaction in the body of an emotion actually only lasts 90 seconds. Oh, really? So (laughs) you're like, what are you kidding me? I've been in my emotional state for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens is once the first cycle of the emotion goes through, we feed it a story with our thoughts. And that brings the chemicals right back up. And then they've got to go through another cycle. And if we keep feeding that story and I start sitting here, oh, I miss Joe Bob so much. Oh, five minutes later, maybe I've forgotten about it. And then I think again, oh, I miss Joe Bob so much. And I'm just perpetuating this emotion over and over. And particularly when we have triggers, and this is what really, I think, gets most people and gets really big in the way of most people is we have these triggers. And you'll know a trigger by, it's if you 
went to visit your parents and they started pushing <laughs> your buttons. I think most of us can relate to that experience. <laughs> and those buttons are called triggers. And what happens or how they get formed is any time in our life that either something is repeated over and over and over and over and over again, or more commonly, there was a point in your life where something was emotionally overwhelming. And if something is emotionally overwhelming, especially when you're a little kid, which happens a lot because we don't have great understanding of the world, it forms a trigger because your nervous system registers it as trauma. When you're overwhelmed and the emotions don't move through, your nervous system thinks it's a trauma. And when it thinks it's a trauma, it stays up in your short-term memory, ready to be triggered constantly. When you heal these things, they move into long-term memory, and then they're just a memory. You remember that you felt a certain way, but the emotions of it aren't right there to be triggered. And so at now, moving forward, anytime somebody does something that reminds you of that feeling, brings up that feeling just a little bit, it pushes that first overwhelm, and you're right back to acting like you were, say, five years old when that trigger was formed. And mm -hmm. so as we're trying to cultivate success in our life, if we've got a bunch of these triggers, and most everybody does, if you've got a bunch of these triggers popping up, it's going to affect how you do everything, whether it makes you keep your mouth shut and not speak up for yourself, whether it has you fly off the handle in a circumstance when you don't need to be doing that. But it generally will sink its little teeth into everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I'm very familiar with triggers. <laughs> I could tell you stories for days. I could <laughs> tell you stories. I, we all have stories. We could have a convention, the trigger convention. Trigger convention. Oh, God. My trigger is worse than yours. <laughs> we'll outdo each other. So that, I guess, brings us into the other, the thing we were talking about before we turn the recording on, uh, which is how to create conversations without emotional triggers. And honestly, I would really love to know how to do that. <laughs> well, one of the cool things, once you start figuring out and learning about your triggers and you do some work to learn how to heal your triggers, the cool thing is, is when you're triggered, it becomes opportunity. It's like, I was just visiting my family. I was there for six days. Everyone came together. Everybody got vaccinated. We all came together and six days on top of each other. And I was only triggered once, <laughs> which was amazing because I used to not be able to do two days with my mom. I was screaming and crying and wanting to leave and you know, I kept, I, I kept it all inside though. I didn't let, <laughs> I learned how to stuff those emotions, <laughs> but it was so amazing that the one, the one thing that I was triggered about, I was able to be like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to heal an old wound. Oh, wow. And so as we get to recognize our triggers, we can heal 
those past wounds. And the more of those we heal, the easier and more fluid our conversation is. So we can get into these conversations about things that we really care about, like doing good for the world or gun violence or Black Lives Matter or women's rights or all these different things that you really care about. But when you've got these triggers, you're all wound up in your emotions and it's hard to be productive in conversation, productive in a way that will lead to change, especially if you're going up against somebody that has a different view as you. First, I mean, we don't ever want to think of it as a going up against somebody because then that's a battle instead of trying to create something and build something that can be productive. But if you're coming in there with all your triggers from your emotional wounds and you're feeling all bent out of shape in your emotions, so maybe you're holding back with some things that need to be said, maybe you're overreacting to something small, you're not going to be as effective in creating the kind of change that you really want. Mm. I want to just go back to your family visit for just a second. Sure. And, and when you found this opportunity to heal the wound when you got triggered that one time during your visit, did you did you have to like excuse yourself and go to your room and 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 like meditate for a while or or journal or something like that or was that something you could just do on the fly in the middle of the conversation or the activity that triggered you? Well, how I handled the conversation in the moment was that I really looked at, it was something my mom said, and I really looked at from her perspective, what she was saying and what she was trying to get across. And so I tailored my conversation to make sure that my response was not reactive because again i've i'm so rarely triggered these days that the triggers aren't nearly as bad as they used to so i have more space in choosing how i respond so i chose to say yes that could totally be true and this was my particular experience, but I can see how this is your experience as well. Or, and I can see how this is your experience as well. I didn't want to use the word, but I used and. And <laughs> I just read that this morning. Did you? Yes. <laughs> so for those of you listening, when you use the word, but after a statement, you're really negating it, so negating somebody's thoughts. So if you say, I understand you, but blah, 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 versus saying, I understand your point of view. And my experience is that I feel this way. It really, it kind of puts everything at a level playing field. You're not trying to squash the other person. And then I, you know, excused myself when it was appropriate. And I went into the house and I was like, man, I am fucking pissed. Ooh, I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> oh, you can, you can definitely say that. Just don't worry <laughs> okay. About it. All right. I am fucking pissed. And then I thought about it for a while and I was just like, see, you know, you don't always notice 
in the instant that, hey, this is an opportunity to heal. <laughs> it's not quite, we're not quite, I'm not quite that woo-woo zen. <laughs> I'm not quite that enlightened. But I was like, oh yeah, she da-da-da-da-da, she always does this, blah, blah, blah. And then I forgot about it a few minutes later. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up and it started spinning because this is how these things happen. Because, you know, you pushed a wound, you pushed a trigger. And for me, <laughs> the trigger that I am not right or that I am wrong. Mm. And um, I think a lot of us probably grew up with that trigger. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the, in the, when I woke up and I couldn't go back to sleep because that trigger was bouncing at me and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. This is an opportunity for me to heal. <laughs> and so I took the moment. I did, you know, the most important thing. First of all, I allowed myself to feel pissed off. And I let that, those feelings move. And then they moved. And then I didn't actually feel the trigger at all. So I was like, well, I don't feel like doing some NLP on myself right now. I'm really <laughs> tired. I want to go back to sleep. Now that this thing has stopped spinning, I can go back to sleep. So I did. And then when I returned home, I just, I took a note uh, that this was a trigger for me to go in and heal. And so I did that with some NLP techniques. And that's one of the things I do with my clients towards the third stage of our program is I teach them how to heal their own triggers so that- That's awesome. When you have those moments and if you can remember, to, whether it's you <laughs> write it down and you heal it later, or you have the space to go and do it now that you can actually take care of those triggers so that the next time, my mom tries to negate something that I'm saying, I'm like, okay, that's her opinion. Versus this five-year-old kid that's thinking, no, I'm right. Why are you telling me I'm wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. I discovered a long time ago when I would go home to always bring a significant other with me because that changed the dynamic because mm -hmm. the one time I didn't, and, and it was just the four of my, me and my brother and my parents, it took, and I timed it, it took 15 minutes mm. for us to go back to when I was in high school. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it brings you right back like, there. <laughs> yeah, it does. And especially, I mean, most of our triggers are formed because of our parents, you know, in therapy, they say, oh, it's everything comes back to your parents. Well, when you're trying to make sense of the world and you're modeling everything and when things are out of congruence, they don't make sense. That's where we start to create these stories like mom might be putting a fire out on the stove, but you're too little to see that there's a fire. All you see is she's not paying attention to me. And then your limited scope of the world, you decide that, you know, she must not love me. So <laughs> the next, the rest of your life, you're looking for evidence to support that story that you made up in your head because of some little circumstance, it's not always that our parents did a terrible thing. Sometimes it's just they were putting a fire out and that was more important than saying I love you in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so how can we take these principles outside of ourselves? Like 
Like, let us, let's all say we've, we've done some work on ourselves and <laughs> like, which would be great. And we're ready to move out from the, you know, from our immediate self and, you know, want to make the world a better place because, you know, it's, I'm gesturing now at like everything. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> It's true. There's a lot of work to be done. That's for sure. One of the things we can do, the more work you do on yourself, the more you're going to show up as a leader, period. Mm. And as you are less triggered, as you are more the calm person in the room, and you're able to be able to see things from multiple different perspectives, because this is one of the things that gives us that emotional freedom is being able to see things from multiple perspectives. We, even if you literally do nothing outside of what you're doing, you're going to be making the world a better place because you're going to have a conversation with somebody and that opens up their eyes about something. And that will filter to their children, to their husband, to their family, to their wife. You're going to be in the grocery store and say something nice to somebody and it's going to affect their day in a better way. And then they're going to go to a meeting that is really important, but their day was kind of crap before. And now you just shifted it. So as you become the master of your own state and you can manage what's going on with you, every interaction you have is going to be better. And that stuff ripples out. Beyond, obviously, of course, you know, I think the more we get adept at dealing with our own state, the more we feel like stepping into things like volunteering or campaigning or fighting whatever good fight we have. But even if you that is not in your driven purpose, everything you do is going to affect the world and elevate it on some level. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. So when you do work with people, do you, is it always one-on-one -on -one or do you do, do you also do classes or seminar kind of things? I do both. I do mostly one-on-one -on -one work, but I do some master classes from time to time and some workshops from time to time. Uh, the workshops, I tend to lean in towards self-worth because mm -hmm. self-worth is the, I believe it's the number one saboteur of <laughs> everything. If when our self-worth is elevated to a point where we would say, my self-worth is at a 10, you really eliminate 90% of things like procrastination, things like the negative self-talk that goes on in your head. And that negative self-talk, you guys, everything is self-hypnosis. Mm. So all the stuff, if you're watching angry news things on TV all of that time, all the time, it's self-hypnosis. Everything coming into your brain is hypnosis on some level. Your brain processes something like 11 million bits of information per second, but we only consciously retain 40 to 50 of those bits. 
And that critical factor, that default mode network that I talked about earlier, that sort of determines what we're going to allow in consciously. And it's always based on what we know of the world, what we've seen of the world. But your unconscious is taking all of it in. So even though you might be watching this debate on TV about something you care about and there's some really good points, but there's all this really negative stuff calling certain types of people certain names and all of this kind of stuff, all that stuff is going into your subconscious. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you want to be selective about what you're putting into your brain. I got totally off topic. Oh, we were talking about self-worth. It's good. It's good. (laughs) But yes, so those things, that negative self-talk, if you're constantly telling yourself, oh, see, you did that again, you're a loser, you're diminishing your self-worth. If you're denying your feelings and stuff in your feelings, you're denying a part of yourself, which means you're telling yourself that part of you is not worthy. And the more you do this, the more hiccups you're going to have in your life. You're not going to be able to go up and talk to that person that you really want to talk to. You're not going to be able to ask for that promotion that you know you deserve. You're not going to be able to have the strength to leave that job that's eating your soul (laughs) (laughs) because you're going to have these fears and these doubts about whether you're worthy. And Mm -hmm. The one piece I want everybody to know, and this is really important, is your worth does not come from your job, your religion, your relationship, or the amount of money you have. Your worth comes from within you, and you are all worthy of being and feeling like you have self-worth of a 10. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. That is awesome. Yeah. So do you have any coming up workshops or or any kind of gigs that you'd want to tell my listeners about? Um, Well, I do do my one-on-one work and that you just can go to my website and sign up for an initial conversation and that's free. We'll start the ball rolling, seeing if it's a good fit. I believe I'm either going to do it towards the end of May or beginning of June. I'm going to do, I think, a two and a half hour workshop on transforming some self-worth stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to go back to that point in time where you decided to accept that you were unworthy and do a shift for people there on the unconscious level. So I, we will post your your links on the show notes, but if you want to just give your website, the URL for your website, <laughs> for our listeners, they want to find you. All right. So the URL for my website is jeneabarnes-elevate, and I will spell that because my name is spelled, first of all, it's spelled with a G, you guys, <laughs> not a J. <laughs> so it's G E N E A. B-A-R-N-E-S dash elevate dot com. Awesome. I want to thank you so much. Thank you. And you've, uh, it's very interesting. This whole, this whole thing is really interesting. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) This was great.
Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grainer. I'm an assembly candidate for New Jersey's 21st legislative district and a crazy cat lady. And you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. So we are here in the blanket fort, and this is the space where we talk about, you know, unwinding, self-care, ways of healing, just what we need to do to live well in this world of craziness. And um, <laughs> today we're talking about, it's really kind of like the dichotomy topic of we can't relax, we have to relax. We're yeah. in this place politically where, you know, it's it's nice to feel like we have a better president and and things feel kind of normal and we're really tempted to be like, oh, everything's okay now. We can just go to sleep. And and we kind of can't because there's so much happening behind the scenes and maybe not so behind the scenes, but it can feel like it. It's more, it's like, yeah, the federal, well, not even the federal government is okay now. I would say it's not because for example, DeJoy is still in charge of the post office. And I keep seeing that and I go, why can't we get rid of him? You know, and I know I have kind of felt like a little less freaked out since Biden, you know, we and, and I think we've been talking, at least amongst my friends, we've been talking about how it's been feeling like a big weight has been lifted and it's not this weight of oppression that's been just sort of crushing us for for four years and you kind of say oh wow now i can fucking relax for five minutes and it's like you do and then you turn around and all of these state legislatures are they're you know they're putting all the their pieces in place to totally fuck us in 2022 when they they're i i you know their their strategy has got to be there they need to win back the house and and the senate and even in the senate right now with the filibuster still there, we are not able to get anything passed still. You know, we still have an obstructionist Senate and that's because the filibuster is there. So we need to we need to kind of put pressure on on the senators to get rid of that so we can at least we have to we have to sandbag the, <laughs> the federal government from this onslaught that, that's going to be happening. You know, I mean, we may have to stack the Supreme Court. And with know. with the filibuster, well, actually, they can do that now because the filibuster is gone for Supreme Court nominees. They got rid of it during Obama so they could get anything done. And uh, we're going to have to do that. I And, it, and I, I know there's like there's one Democratic holdout, some guy. I forget which senator. Oh, it is. Joe you Manchin. Know. Yeah. In West I, and, Virginia. <laughs> and and uh, Kirsten Cinema, I think, is also tends to side with him on a lot of things. I'm not sure where she comes down on the filibuster currently, but I know people talk about Joe Manchin as being like the real holdout. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about, like, it seems to me that his philosophy is he wants things to be nonpartisan and he wants he wants to talk to people and have Republicans come over to their side and, and have it be this like organic process. Well, that would be nice. It would be nice, but it's not it's not what's happening, you know. No, I mean, McConnell's got everybody by the short hairs and they're doing everything he says. Right. Like, has the January 6th commission, is it dead now? Is it it can't happen? A nonpartisan 
from this in the Senate cannot happen because it in the case in point, it lost it had a majority of votes but lost because of the filibuster. I think it had fifty two four. Yeah, I mean, well, I think they even something like that. Yeah, I mean, if they're not going to get rid of the filibuster, they need to put it back to the where it used to be, where Where you have to stand there and talk. Person has to stand there and talk, and they can't, they can't, you know, have somebody stand in for them. They need like the pee bucket there at the podium, right? Oh, you know, or they have to wear a diaper. I don't care. Uh, and and I think that if they're going to keep the filibuster, they should do that. They can't just say, "Oh, well, I don't like this." And then, you know, one guy just says, I don't like this and I'm going to filibuster. And then and then so you have you have the entire country held hostage over one senator. That's bullshit. I you know, I was actually really surprised to realize that it was it's been not that many years ago that I found out that the filibuster is now basically the virtual conceptual filibuster. It's not what it make them suffer if they, you know. (laughs) They <laughs> what is that bad? Is it, <laughs> if they it's, feel it's that strongly against, <laughs> okay, Fuck that's them. my make quote. Them suffer. Make them Wendy suffer. Sheridan. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because I've been looking for uh, quotable things from from our shows that we can start <laughs> making. You know, panels of and things like that. For yeah, for okay. Online. I'm not sure about that one, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need we need the appropriate picture of me holding a glass of wine or or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Filing your. You have nails. to put that in context. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to be the next Marie Antoinette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to strike this balance like i'm i'm knowing when to not go doom scrolling and i'm listening to less hyper news like sometimes there's certain news people that it's just like constantly like oh my god the world is in peril like every single moment you know and i feel like i want to stay informed but i don't want to do things so much that feed hysteria so I'm mm. kind of choosing my my news and podcasts according according to that right now and trying to think of ways to be politically active. Like, I think I think I, I will do want to know what's going on. I want to know who we need to put pressure on for which votes and that sort of stuff and what other kind of creative things we need to come up with in this time of people really trying to dismantle voting, which is terrifying to me in terms of it just going so far backwards. It's scary, you know. But I so I want to pay attention to that and do what I can do and make sure I'm doing healing stuff for myself and not just get wrapped into panic mode. Yeah, I've been reluctant to follow a lot of news. Uh, I used to it used to be, you know, I would get enough off of my social media that I could keep vaguely current. But I think a lot of my friends and the people I follow are in a similar boat and they're posting fewer news articles. And that could also be Facebook is discouraging direct linking to like news sources now for some reason. I, I think they, you know, they're trying to just keep you on their platform and not clicking over to something else. It's like now I have to kind of go to a news source to read news. And I'm doing that a little less than I used to. 
I guess that I used to do more doom scrolling is what I'm trying to say in a my in my roundabout grandpa way. So uh, <laughs> grandpa Simpson way. Right. Yeah. And doom scroll. I mean, people talk about that. And I guess I, I sometimes get into that. I get into reading comments like there's something that oh wow someone says that's important on Twitter. And then I'll start like reading all the things. And I'm like, why? I go, why am I reading this? And I'll just stop. Like as soon as I <laughs> catch myself like reading everybody's back and forth, which is it, at a certain point, like, okay, I've gotten the main points of what people are talking about. And that's actually useful. But mm-hmm. I don't need to read the 5,700 other things after it. I'm like, yeah. okay, stop now, you know? So I'll do that. Yeah, I think it is a good idea to choose a couple of people you like, even if it's commentary as opposed to, I mean, I like pure news. I like to hear as much as I can from like, I don't know, BBC or NPR or something like that. That's more like factual, right. you know, tell me what's actually happening. And then a couple of stuff that's more like commentary. You know, I like Pod Save America and I know their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I could choose to listen to some of that and to a couple of other people or something like that. Just staying aware of bias and whatever. And that feels helpful to me. You know, just a little, a, pe- a couple of people that I follow so that I don't get all my news from Facebook, because I think that that can be very skewed. In fact, it's one of the reasons that they think things have gone so far right, because for whatever reason, it's kind of geared to maneuver you to more sort of hyper Anything that's like conflictual or mm-hmm. causes hyper excitement because more it gets more clicks. Yeah. Like it goes to that. So I think that's why like Ben Shapiro is number one on Facebook, you know, and a lot of people like that. So not that we w- we wouldn't get the hardcore right wing stuff in our feeds, but I'm I'm suspicious of, like you said, what what you get and what gets left out. Right. Right. Because you're not getting a whole picture that way. Yeah. Well, there was this article that you po- that you sent to me. So this article was written by Patricia Allman. It's called Mindfulness for Activists in Tricycle.org. And I guess we'll put a link to it. Yeah, I'll definitely link to it. I like the Tricycle magazine. It's been a long mm. time since I've read it, but it's a good okay. Buddhist uh, ah, publication. Okay. okay, that gives me some more context. Uh, <laughs> she's talking about, and she gives you, you know, examples of how to practice this meditation which helps recenter and refocus and and kind of keep you from burnout which i think i think from you know the the trump administration and, and after that i think i think that all of us were burned out in some way and i know i've needed i've needed the last 6 months as kind of a break And now I am at the point where I'm feeling that I have enough energy to get back out there. I'm going to still, I still have to do the pick, pick the issue or issues, because that's the other thing that I know there's a whole lot of awful happening in the world, almost constantly at all times. And you, and you cannot, at one person cannot take all of it on at once. It's just too much. So, you know, if you just pick one issue or two issues that that's what you're concentrating on, then you can stave off burnout and you can be more effective. And I think even just taking on uh, wanting to just make the world or make experiences positive for some people somewhere. I mean, I think that's (laughs) 
also we're talking about just feeding people mm. or creating a discussion group or a hangout space or something like that. You know, I mean, I think I, I, we do have to approach like the, the hardcore politics too, but I definitely appreciate taking time away as well, you know, and sometimes just doing something that is positive in the world feels like activism these days, you know, mm. as well. But what is the meditation that you were? Oh, well, she has about? a couple of them in, in the article. I mean, first she describes the one that she did for a Planned Parenthood. She has an interaction she gave a, a mnemonic for. It's called ROAR. Uh, it's like a stop and breathe technique. And the it's R-O-A-R. R is for remember. Mindfulness meditation cultivates our ability to remember where we are and what we're doing. In other words, we become more used to being aware and appreciative of what we're doing while we're doing it instead of talking to ourselves about what we're doing or thinking about what we'll do next and so on. So the main trick is the first R is remembering that we're here right now. And you take a moment to check in with yourself the O and the A, observing and appreciating our own living, breathing presence. And then we resume our activities from that more balanced perspective. That's a quick mindfulness technique that you, that you can probably do whenever you're starting to feel overwhelmed. You kind of just take a step back and get back into yourself and become present and appreciate yourself. And she gives you kind of instructions for how to meditate across that mnemonic that's a good one it's a very simple yeah. way to describe yeah. it and it doesn't take some high-minded philosophy or practice or anything you yeah. know it's just a remember and come back you know yeah yeah like it's, it's a get get back to being in the moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know because a lot of times you'll be thinking about oh i got to do this and that and or you're not being present so yeah i find that a lot even when i'm just out walking thinking i'm taking a break but I'm not really taking a break because you know? <laughs> my mind is racing or doing something. And, you know, and even with this is a funny thing for me. It's as much as I, I love Pokemon Go. It is one of my pastimes or whatever. But I also really, really like to be present and be in nature and that sort of thing. You know, so I found for a while that like all, every time I took a walk, it was like on a mission because I had to go catch <laughs> some squirtles or I need to do a battle or I, whatever, you know, and it's like, I'm still, I'm not even seeing nature or the street or whatever. I'm seeing like my screen and another screen. And as, as much as I enjoy it, I'm playing less because I'm like telling myself like, you know what, this time I'm actually just going out just for exercise and just for enjoyment of, <laughs> of the world, you know, and other times I will go out and play, but sometimes a pastime could be another distraction from what I really need. Yeah. So I've been paying attention to that and trying to create balance there too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a good reminder. And I have been out, out of my daily meditation practice for a while. And I want to, that's something that's important for me to find my way back to one way or another, because I know I'm more effective in everything and just, just a happier person, you know, when I'm, when I'm there. Mm. So we we can't rest yet and probably will never be resting. Resting without I'm talking about I'm talking about the activism stuff. I'm talking yeah. about it for for one for example my one of my main 
things that I have been an activist about is abortion rights, abortion access and abortion rights. And I have been fighting this fight pretty much my entire adult life. And I'm not a young person anymore. This should not, it should not be like this. You know, (sighs) and the whole civil rights thing, you think, you know, they passed laws and you think, well, we've gotten somewhere. And then, I mean, we're making, you know, it's like these incremental two steps forward, one step back. And I just want to make sure that we, that the net motion is forward. And, and it's, you know, and if, and if we fucking rest for five minutes, it's not, it, it, the, the, the other, the other side isn't resting so we can't rest either we have to take turns somehow yeah well <laughs> that's needed uh, yeah it's time it's, out what, or it's something. the chorus it's choir singing yeah you know yeah. they a choir can sustain a note indefinitely because the individuals can stop for a breath while the other people are still singing ah that is a good suggestion that that's the analogy It's a good analogy, and it reminds me of the eternal ohm, and that is a wonderful thing to listen to. Okay. So if you ever do want to take a break, um, it's, you know, it's on whatever. I'm sure you could download it or hear it on Spotify or whatever, but it's like an hour of ohming, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's just, you know, because there's more than one, so you can just go indefinitely. It's that's lovely. What you were saying just reminded me that we just hit the... 50th anniversary, which is shocking, of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On album. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Which was like, wait, what? But then, of course, yeah, 1971, that was was a while ago. And, you know, what I was hearing and reading about that, you know, as people were sort of going over that again, is that, yeah, that's so relevant to now. And it's really, you know, looking at, he was talking about people coming home from Vietnam and what that was like and racism mm. and all kinds of stuff. But it's, a lot of it is very, it's still, you know, relevant and inspiring. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good listen. I, that's the one thing I want to do this week is really take a deep listen to that album. Okay. Just, you know, songs I know and songs I may, I'm not sure that I'm, I have, I don't know that so, I've, it's an album I've listened to like straight through it's not one that i've like memorized all of you know oh wow but i want to um take time with that yeah we've we've got fight but we also have art to make about it and things to experience too so yeah that's how i how i'm trying to uh find some balance as well yeah because it was memorial day this past weekend there were some people who posted stuff about the pentacle on the tombstones for fallen soldiers. Oh yeah, and we and, know someone who was very much on the forefront of. Uh, I was working. That. I was working with him. This was this was one of the projects that the activism projects that I got involved with, and it has to. How was it? Twenty years ago? Fifteen? I don't even know how long ago. It was a while ago. It's a while ago, yeah. Charles Arnold really spearheaded it, and he basically gave up the the fame and fortune to somebody at circle sanctuary. Okay. Selena Fox. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. We, we had to get a bigger name pagan to head the, the effort. And, and I think it was Selena Fox. I am not positive, 
but he had to kind of take a back seat because he, he he's controversial for other reasons. <laughs> and but he was a, a Vietnam vet and he passed a while back too. I, you know, and that was just a reminder that, yeah, we actually, that was something that we actually did. And, and it reminded me that, yeah, I, I actually, I helped with that and I, and I made a difference. And, and that, that reminder reminded me that, oh, I can still make a difference. That's cool. That's, so, that's a very concrete thing that happened. Yeah. And so, so basically for people who don't know, it was that only certain religious symbols were allowed to be on the military military tombstones right you know so they had like crosses and star of david and a crescent crescent yeah and then they had it was like everybody and they all they had like a an an atomic symbol like an atom for For atheists oh okay and and they and and then they were showing and this was during the george w bush administration so this gives you the time frame so it is about 20 years ago yeah very small Japanese Shinto sects had their own symbol. And there was many, many, many religions. And it was like everyone except pagans. Hmm. And and that's kind of how we got it in there. Because they were they were allowing symbols for religious sects with, you know, a couple of thousand followers in the United States. And there are over a hundred thousand or even more pagans. I don't know that we're actually counted in any census or anything. Yeah, I think I've when I could write I guess I've put it in some at some I think I have checked pagan or written it in or something. I don't remember. Okay. But we were probably undercounted. I think you're probably yeah, right. Yeah, I think we're on. Yes. But anyway, we, we, because of the fact that these other very obscure religions were permitted to have their symbols on tombstones, we finally got ours. You know, we were recognized in the military, like there's pagan chaplains and stuff like that. And that had been happening for like a couple of decades before they were allowed to have the tombstones. So that was something that we actually did. So Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like a, I don't know. It sounds like people think of it as, as a depressing kind of a topic, but it's part of the symbols of the whole cycle. And I think that's that is important, you know? Yeah. To be seen, to be recognized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So thank you for that. Well, well sure. It was, <laughs> it was my, it, it was, it was, I, it was just something you do. Yeah. What is it? The Talmud, which is the, one of the Jewish it's not the sacred. It's it's sort of a sacredish text. It's uh, not the Bible. Uh, it's sort of Bible adjacent, and right. it's where the scholars would talk about things. and And there was a quote going around that I'm going to completely mangle because <laughs> that's my way. Basically, saying that the work is more than you're going to be able to to complete in your lifetime, but it's important that you do it anyway, and someone else will pick it up and take it after you. And that quote's been going around for a while and I'm really embracing that because it it really does kind of epitomize how progress is made in in society. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been fighting for for people to be treated well uh, for hundreds of years. And we will and, we'll pave the way for new folks and Yeah. Uh, I there's I would I I would like things that would be settled in settled law to be settled and then we can do some fix something else 
but <laughs> you know, we have to do, we have to, we have to deal with the cards that we were dealt. So yes. we have to play the hand we're dealt. So there we are. Yes. <laughs> And let's try to have a fun summer too while we yes. do it somehow. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. Yes. It's there's you can have fun and also thing other do other things. So. Yes. Exactly. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan, show notes by Robin Renee, fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli, web hosting by InMotion and remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>